Thank you for listening to The New Norm. Yes, I'm back. This is now 24 hours, a little bit more, since the Eagles lost to the Washington football team yesterday in Washington. And the reason I'm back is I know I went over everything with that game. Um, I was seeing red afterwards, and I, I normally do you know a five reasons why the Eagles lost. And I thought about that, and I'm like, you know what? I will list that. I will talk a little bit more about that game. But then we're going to dive into what yesterday became apparent and that there is an institutional problem with the Philadelphia Eagles here. And again, I've tried to ignore it. Who hasn't? We all have. And rightfully so because we won a Super Bowl, you know, in 2017, 2018. And it's like we're living off of that. Well, we've played two full seasons since. And we played a game yesterday. And there's been a lot of bad with the Philadelphia Eagles. I know it's, we made the playoffs the last two years. Like I'm supposed to sit here and celebrate that we made the playoffs. We won the Super Bowl three seasons ago. But the last two years, we made the playoffs, and I'm supposed to sit here and pat Howie Roseman and Doug Peterson on the back? And, by the way, in the two years we've made the playoffs, the quarterback that we have paid the most money in franchise history has played one series. The five reasons why the Eagles lost yesterday to the Washington football team um, we'll go in reverse order. How about that? We'll save the dramatics. Number five, Jake Elliott. You miss a fit. I still, I, I, I literally had to watch it again. I've watched the game and I had to watch this kick. Like I rewound it like three times because it still is baffling to me that a field goal kicker in the National Football League in perfect weather on a sunny day in the summer still. This is the first game. This is September. It was 80 degrees in Washington. He came up short from 53 yards. Short. I mean, really, when you think about it, if you're short from 53 yards, and I know all I had to hear was, well, he made the 61-yarder. That's like the greatest miracle then in the history of the National Football League. I've never seen somebody who kicked one 60-plus. Like, that's like Justin Tucker. You think Justin Tucker would ever come up short from 57 yards? Okay, poor example, right? Because he's probably the greatest kicker ever. You ever see Will Lutz come up short from 53 yards? I mean, really, Greg Zerline? It's incredible. Like I said, they gave him this big contract last year, and then he proceeded to blow the Miami game by missing a kick, right? Then he also blew, almost, he tried to, I'm sorry, blow the Giants game by missing a kick. So please, spare me with the Jake Elliott. I believe he's a problem. I don't think it's a problem that's getting fixed. I, I will give him this. He's gotten a little bit more accurate with his extra points. And I, it's it's sad that I have to say that, that I'm, I'm saluting him for making extra points in the National Football League. But he was fifth. 
Fourth, John Hightower. And the reason I say John Hightower, it's not just John Hightower, even though he was clearly well over his head yesterday in that game. I mean, really, he had the 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 key play, which was the interception where he allowed the ball to get intercepted. He dropped a pass where he was bailed out by a helmet-to-helmet afterwards, clear over the middle. It, it was just clear and evident he was not ready to play. And I don't blame him so much as I blame the coach, which is going to lead us to a bigger discussion about him. But the fact that Deshaun Jackson played only 54% of the snaps, literally every single fan watching that game had to think, freaking Deshaun's hurt again. That's what we all thought. We had every reason to think that because there's no way you could convince us that John Hightower should be taking snaps from Deshaun Jackson. But it happened. It happened. And we'll talk more about that too. Uh, third reason, well, clearly, yeah, the offensive line. It just, it's being overblown in regards to how bad they played because, again, we're looking for an excuse for a certain player. They didn't play horrifically. Did Jason P- Peters play his best game? Clearly not. And then I have to hear today, well, he looks slow. Well, of course he looked a little slow. He was bulking up to play right guard. This season, he was signed in July to play right guard. Don't be mad at him that a week before the season, he had a slide to left tackle because Andre Dillard got hurt. And they did not have a plan B for Andre Dillard. Because the plan was Peters at right guard. So what? What if something did happen? Like I said, we were searching for the swing tackle. And I guess maybe they thought they had him in the building. Maybe they thought Jordan Mailata can do it. But that's the thing. You can't think and hope in situations like that. You need to be prepared. And we'll talk more about that problem because that goes all the way up to the general manager. Two, the reason we lost, Doug Peterson. Clearly, Doug Peterson had a horrific game yesterday. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. The offense looked vanilla vanilla. And I will talk more about what was supposed to change with Doug Peterson and his coaching techniques, but the play calling, obviously people want to, you know, get on him for not running the ball enough. It's 2020. You need to be able to throw the football. If you're telling me Carson Wentz is the best player on the team, because I I believe you are telling me that because he's the highest paid player on the team, then putting the ball in his hands should not be a negative. But we want to take the air out of the ball in the first half after we scored on three or four possessions to start the game? Looked like he was calling a pretty good game there, right? We scored on three or four possessions to start the football game. And then Carson Wentz imploded. And he's the number one reason why we lost. It is Carson Wentz. But if you want to go back to Peterson, the fourth down calls... Listen, I do like the aggressiveness. You you do not want to take the aggressiveness out of the coach because stop being a hypocrite. We applauded him for it. He was applauded for being aggressive. Here's the thing about aggressiveness. It's called risk-reward. There will be times where the risk ends up failing. That's why it's a risk and not a sure thing. Trust me, if everybody knew on fourth and three you would get a first down, the punter would never touch the field. People don't punt because they think we're not going to convert fourth or we're going to convert fourth down, but it's just what we're supposed to do. The reason that this was a problem yesterday is the Washington football team 
was horrible offensively. They were. They got 230 yards. They scored four times against the Eagles, all of which came from plus territory. That means they had to go less than 50 yards. 48, 45, 23, and 20, I believe, were their scoring drives. Think about that. But we're sitting here, and I had to hear people today talk about their defense. And I get it. It is a little frustrating that when they had you know, two drives where Wentz threw interceptions that they scored touchdowns and we weren't able to stop them from scoring. It would have been nice to hold them to field goals. But again, short fields because the best player, quote unquote, turned the ball over. That's why the Eagles lost yesterday. Those were the five reasons why the Eagles lost to the Washington football team, who is horrible. They are not a good team. They have a good defensive line. They have a questionable, at best, secondary. Their offense is putrid. Um, uh, I, again, who do they have at wide receiver? Outside of Terry McLaurin, it was nothing special. What, Steven Sims? Dontrell Inman? Those guys were scaring you. Logan Thomas, former quarterback in college at tight end. Those were the scary guys on their offense. They started a guy at left tackle who I had heard was not really ready to play in the NFL. And guess what? They didn't have the issues the Eagles had, Right? Guess why? Because Jim Schwartz, and again, I know he I, he's not on my five reasons because I thought the Eagles defense played well, but again, literally no blitzing. He put no pressure on their offensive line. He put no pressure on Haskins. We can't turn teams over, right? And guess why? You can't turn teams over when you let the quarterback sit in the backfield and look around and be able to make decisions that are adversely not dangerous. Let's move forward, though. Let's talk about why I'm talking today. I thought about this all day. I listened to people talk, and again, I, 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 nobody changed my mind. I wanted my mind to be changed. I wanted to be talked off a ledge here. But there is an institutional problem with the Philadelphia Eagles. I sipped the Kool-Aid with Carson Wentz. I absolutely did. I absolutely drank the Kool-Aid last year. The last month of that season, I thought he showed up. Here's the thing. He doesn't throw the ball away. I understand that. I'm not asking Carson Wentz to radically change who he is as a football player. His ability to extend plays is part of the reason he is what he is. His highs are very high because he can extend football plays. The thing is taking a sack that loses you 13 yards and turns a 40-yard field goal into a 53-yard field goal is unacceptable for somebody in their fifth year. Being up 17-0 and missing by 15 feet on an out route in the first half of a game where you are stomping the heart of the team you're playing and allowing them back into the game, that's unacceptable. The second half that he played in that football game yesterday was unacceptable. Really, when I think about horrific performances by Wentz. And th this is the bad thing too. This is a bad sign. I'm talking like horrific, not just bad games, horrific games. This is, this is true. He's had horrific moments, right? Let's think about them. Uh, hmm. The New Orleans game in 2018, where I had said, this is the biggest game of his career to this point. Biggest game. This was the year after we won the Super Bowl. We went down to New Orleans and we were run out of the building. It was bad, bad. Remember that game? Three interceptions. 
He was horrible as a rookie in Cincinnati. I remember that game because that was a play. There was a play in that game where Ertz just decided to make a business decision and not go against Vontez Perfect and block him. That game was horrible. That was an ugly game. But he was a rookie. Okay. I but to me, yesterday was the worst game. I mean, I look at the Dallas game last year. He was terrible. I look at the Minnesota game where he had, it wasn't the worst he had ever played, but he had some really questionable moments. Then, like I said, the New England and Seattle games where he was horrific. My thing with Wentz was he was really good in 2017. He really was. He played at a high level. He made a lot of good plays. Clearly, he had a very good core around him. He got hurt. Okay, the next season, he was inconsistent. Fair enough. He was coming off a major knee injury. Generally, the rule is, when you come back, you're not getting better, you're getting healthy. Well, the fu- And then, his season was questionably ended because of a back injury. When really, it might have been, they got beat by Dallas... He was horrible for the first three quarters of that game. He played a very good fourth quarter to keep them in the game. I give him that. And then Foles went in and took us to the playoffs again. And then won a playoff game again. And then lost the Seattle or the New Orleans game because Doug Peterson blew that game. That two-minute play, that play before the two-minute warning, it's not talked about enough. It isn't because, I mean, that's the coach taking the season, Right? And I know this is a little bit of a tangent, and I'm going to go into Peterson. But I mean, when you think back to that moment, I know it seemed tough because we had lost Brandon Brooks in that game. Fletcher Cox got dinged up. A lot of people got hurt in that game. Rasul Douglas was hurt. We might have had Josh Hawkins start in that corner in the, in, in the NFC title game. But the thing was, we were going to play the Rams again, a team we had had very good success with, a team we had beaten the month prior. But that was the thing. He took that game because he was rushing to score when we, everybody watching that game against New Orleans knew if there was more than 10 seconds left when we scored, Drew Brees was going to get them in position to kick a field goal to win the game because we needed a touchdown and extra points to take the lead. That, to me, was incredible. And it was a scary sign. Because I don't know how, because he ran the ball on first down. Everybody in the building had to assume we were going to the two-minute warning. We were trying to slow it down a little, take as much time, because we had to play uh, defense with our offense, and he didn't recognize it. Here's the thing. We, we've went, but back to Carson Wentz. He comes back the next season, and I know he was rehabbing his back, right? But it wasn't a serious injury, because, by the way, he was never put on IR. So if something had happened to Foles, he was potentially going to come back to play. Regardless, last year, great, great second half against Washington. Ironic, right? Questionable first half. Not all-time horrific first half, but a great second half. Best I'd ever seen him play. Deshaun gets hurt. Alshon's hurt. Goddard hurt. The Atlanta game happens. Where J.J. Ortega-Whiteside clearly was not ready to play. He threw the clutch pass to win that game. Aguilar dropped the football. I get it. There were a lot of moments in that game. But again, he also had the ball inside the 20. 
and he failed. He missed. I, I mean, Zach Ertz, another one where he ran the route short, but the play before that, he missed the pass that would have got us a first down. There were things there, right? The Detroit game, where he had these moments, where actually he wasn't the reason we lost. He made plays for us to win those games. But then those that horrible stretch in the middle of the season, the fantastic finish. My thing with Carson Wentz is this. Why is Carson Wentz so inconsistent? I was backing him. Backing him going into the season. I had thought he found it. And he was healthy, finally, going into an offseason. I know he was hurt in his last game, but it was a concussion, and he was going to be cleared to play the next week. So Carson Wentz was fully healthy, and I know it wasn't the typical offseason. If I have to hear that one more time. But it wasn't a typical offseason for anybody in the National Football League. So it wasn't like there was an advantage to be had. So let me ask you this. If you're not concerned with Carson Wentz at this point in year five, then I have to ask you, why are you lying to yourself? I am not saying that, listen, this is one game. It could just be he had a bad day. But the thing is, he has too many bad days. I'm scared he doesn't see the field the way he's supposed to. I really am. I'm scared that that he doesn't know how to recognize hot routes. I'm scared that he holds the ball too long. I'm scared that I've never seen him chuck the ball into the stands to, to avoid a sack or avoid a negative play. And I get it. It's part of his charm because he'll duck these defenders and then make good plays. I'm petrified at the fact that he continues to fumble the football. This is now year five. This was a problem his rookie year, and it's a problem in year five. So that tells me it's never getting fixed. It's not changing. He is going to turn the football over. We have to live with it. That's not good. Do you think there's this thing, right? When these games happen with Wentz, right? Like, because, again, I can deal with John Hightower losing us a game. I can deal with an inexperienced offensive line costing us a game. But I cannot deal with a fifth-year guy who makes the most money on the team losing us games like he did Sunday. He was the sole reason the Eagles lost. My scary thought with Wentz is this inconsistency is just going to rear its head every single season. Because here's the thing. If he has stretches where he's great, that's fantastic. We'll win games when that happens. But the thing is, what go what happens to him when these moments happen? where he just loses it and his confidence gets shot because it was shot yesterday. That was horrible. He was horrible. I ask you, there's this thing called Carson Wentz apologists out there. I hear that term a lot and I know you've all heard it. They're a Carson Wentz apologist. Okay. My question to you would be, have you ever in your life heard somebody say they're a Patrick Mahomes apologist? Have you heard somebody tell you 
They are an Aaron Rodgers apologist? Have you ever heard somebody tell you they are a Russell Wilson apologist? Or have you heard those players described with that term? Here's a spoiler. You haven't. And you want to know why you haven't? Because guess what? They don't have these moments. That's the problem here. To be an apologist, right? You have to apologize for something. You have to defend something. I mean, I mean, really, think about it. He's 28. This is the, supposed to be his prime. We're still talking about him taking unnecessary hits, not throwing the ball on a screen into the dirt, instead taking the same exact hit that he took in the Clowney game or in the Seattle game that took him out of that game. No learning. Not throwing the ball away. Again, I don't want him... Listen, there's a difference. If it's second down and 12 and he tries to make a play, that's one thing. But when you're at the you know, the 23-yard line and you take a 13-yard sack on third down, on third and long, that's not... You can't apologize for that. That's unacceptable. I want to believe in Carson Wentz because I think his highs of high it, it was it was perfectly it was a perfect microcosm of yesterday's game. You saw it in the first half. You saw how good this team could be that throw to Goddard, the touchdown pass. It was perfect. The throw to Ertz, it was perfect. Things were clicking. He wasn't missing. I think he was 14 for 17 and two of which were drops. This guy was clicking. When that guy's playing there is no way you aren't convincing me he is not top three in the NFL. The only two guys I could see that play better than him when he's at that level are Russell Wilson and Patrick Mahomes. But the problem is that isn't sustainable for him. And I get it. You'll tell me, well, that level of play isn't sustainable for anybody. Okay. But Patrick Mahomes doesn't drop off to looking like he's a high school football player, does he? I mean, there were throws yesterday that literally, I believe, high school kids could have made. That, that that play, before the fourth and four, that second down throw that he had to Jalen Rager where he had a clean pocket. Rager is sitting in the middle of this zone defense that the, Reds, or that the Washington team is playing. And he missed him by about 10 yards. And you'll say, that must be miscommunication. I would think so. But on the very next play, he had Greg Ward coming across the middle and he threw the ball 20 yards over his head on a clean pocket. Peterson today is telling me, he thinks the throw to Rager, the ball, the, the, the first interception, the ball may have slipped in his hands. Apologists, stop making excuses. This man needs to be held accountable. But that leads me, right? That leads me to Doug Peterson and Howie Roseman. And I'm going to also talk about Carson Wentz here again. Because I went back and I listened to a show I talked about the Jalen Hurts pick, when we picked Jalen Hurts. And I had to read that, you know, and again, this happened in April. I got a refresher, essentially. I remember hearing now Howie Roseman saying, we were a quarterback factory, which is still to this day the most asinine thing I've ever heard anybody ever say, maybe ever, a quarterback factory. And Doug talked about well, we want to incorporate Jalen Hurts into the games. He said the words, 
Taysom Hill, which by the way, like I said then, I'll say it now, you don't draft Taysom Hill in the second round. Jalen Hurts was inactive yesterday. So now it is no longer allowed to be said that the Eagles had a plan when they picked Jalen Hurts unless that plan is for him to possibly replace the starting quarterback. And you'll tell me, no way are they taking Carson Wentz out. He's their highest paid player. They gave him all this money. And you are right. That is true. He's not coming out this season. But after next season, that contract he has, they have an out. They can get out of his contract. Don't tell me the Eagles aren't aware that they can get out of Carson Wentz's contract. This Jalen Hurts pick makes more sense when you think about that. And that's a huge issue as well. That they gave Carson Wentz all this money, but thought to themselves, eh, we, we should have a plan B. That's called a recipe for disaster, right? Because I had to hear yesterday, well, who's on this team to help Carson Wentz? There's just not enough talent around him. Well, you think you could have got some talent picking a 53? Because Jalen Hurts was a healthy scratch. He's And, and by the way, if Jalen Hurts is healthy, he's not helping Carson Wentz. But if Roseman really believed they drafted Jalen Hurts for him to help this offense in ways, be type of guy that gives them some imagination on offense, a creative guy to use during the games. Well, here's a big problem with Doug Peterson. He has no imagination. It is clear and evident at this point. You know, I remember when Greg Ward was brought up last year, we thought, man, dude, we saw the New England Patriots beat us because they had their wide receiver, Edelman, throw a touchdown pass. Well, now we got a guy who played quarterback in high school or in college. And guess what? Never once. There was never any imagination with him. Now you draft Hurts. Use him like Taysom Hill. That was his words. There was no imagination. Scangarello comes in. All I hear is, well, he's good at rolling the pocket. Did Carson Wentz's pocket roll at all yesterday? You would think that would be a key point to do that, right? In a game where your offensive line is inexperienced. Never happened. The pocket never rolled. Carson Wentz was a statue back there. Did you see any pre-stop motion? That's another thing I heard. We're going to pre-snap motion. We're going to start moving on the line of scrimmage. We're going to make the defense. We're going to try to confuse the defense pre-snap. Never happened. What I saw yesterday was the same thing I've seen for the last four years. We have went through Frank Reich. He got a head coaching job. We lost John D. Filippo. We, we went through Mike Rowe. He was blamed. Mike Rowe was the problem. You ever think Doug Peterson's the problem? Because guess what? The start of that game was that the success occurred because that's the scripted plays. Just like in 2017 when we had great success at the start of every game, it was because Frank Reich helped develop the game plan, the scripted plays. And then for two years, we had no success starting games, and that was because I guess maybe Mike Rowe wasn't good at scripting plays. But again, he's also not the play caller. Now we bring in Scangarello. You got Morningway. You got about a million offensive coaches, a million different ways. Press Taylor, Jeff Stalin, all these guys. And to be fair to them, the script that plays worked yesterday because we scored points. And also, to be fair to Peterson, in the second half, we may have scored more points, but the quarterback played atrocious. 
which is another thing on him. Why is the quarterback not developing? Maybe he's trying to develop him. Maybe the quarterback is uncoachable. But his mechanics looked awfully horrible yesterday in that second half. He looked like the way his throwing motion was. It just looked like he was, he had no clue how to get to the right spot to throw the football. He looked just timid, tense. He did not free flow throw. We have major problems with the head coach. And if you think for one second his job is safe, it's not. Getting to the playoffs is not acceptable. We won the Super Bowl three years ago. And what, we're supposed to be content winning nine games now, the last two seasons? Doug Peterson is a 500, he's a 500 coach. He is one outlier year. That's what Jason Garrett had in Dallas. Remember the year the Eagles rookie season, right? For Doug Peterson and Carson Wentz, the Cowboys hosted the NFC title, or hosted the NFC division. They were the number one overall seed. They were what the Eagles were in 2017. The thing that happened to them is the end of their first playoff game, Green Bay made the play to win. And like in our game, Atlanta did not make the play to win. But if Dallas had won that game, chances are Dallas probably would have won the Super Bowl. I think they would have beaten Atlanta. I think they probably would have beaten New England. They were really good. And what happened to Dallas since then? Mediocre. The 8-8 the, the eight eight joke on Jason Garrett, we've all heard it a billion times. They moved on from him. They did not want to be 500. Well, here we are. This is now three years post that year for the Eagles. Here's the thing. I get it. Peterson gets a little bit of a leash because we won the Super Bowl and he was incredible. And Nick Foles was great. He was unbelievable. I have no problem with him having a leash. But here's the thing. though: The owner sent the message last year to, to, to Doug Peterson. Remember, he said Mike Groh wasn't losing his job. You know, uh, Carson Walsh, the wide receivers coach, they were both coming back and they were fired the next day. Because the owner did not like what he saw. Doug Peterson's seat is steaming hot. The question today was, who goes first, Carson Wentz or Doug Peterson? It's easy. It's Doug Peterson. But don't think Carson Wentz, his his, his leash is in shortening. It is. It absolutely is. But that leads me to, well, who's putting the guys around this team, right? Howie Roseman. Howie Roseman is a huge problem. He is a huge problem. The inability to draft anybody since we won the Super Bowl. Hell, the year we did win the Super Bowl. We have a draft where Derek Barnett can't stay healthy. Nathan Gary's the only guy playing on that team. The following year, right? Who do we get? We trade down. We get Dallas Goddard. Dallas Goddard looks like a player. Avante Maddox, Josh Sweat. That draft actually looks like, okay, it was a rebound. That was a good draft. Those are three good players right there. You know, it it looks like Matt Pryor, by the way, thought he'd be a player. Nowhere to be found yesterday. But then last year, the draft, Andre Dillard. Well, it's going to be year three and we have no clue what Dillard is. He got hurt. And I know you can't account for stuff like that, but in the time he played last year, he didn't impress me at all. This year, 
he was a huge question in training camp. He was getting, like, it was to the point where they were considering, what are we going to have to do? What is plan B? Because they were not, again, the Eagles had no plan B. That's clear and evident. But who else in that? Oh, that's right. J.J.R. They go Whiteside. Like I told everybody, I heard he had a great training camp. I will never buy that ever again. I don't, and again, he, he was on the field yesterday. He took 29 snaps and he had zero effect on the game. None, none. Can't get open, can't run. I just watched the start of the Steelers game. Chase Claypool made an unbelievable catch. And I use that name because Chase Claypool was a second round pick too for a, as a wide receiver for the Steelers. JJ can't do that. He hasn't done that. He had an opportunity to do that. He's had numerous opportunities. He's had plenty of starts to do that. He's 10 catches in his NFL career. 10. DK Metcalf, another touchdown yesterday. The guy who ended our season, you know. The Eagles didn't like him. He was only a great athlete with great speed, but his college numbers weren't what they were supposed to be. Like, you'd swear Arthega Whiteside broke records at Stanford. I think right now, this game on Sunday is so pivotal for the Philadelphia Eagles. And I'll be back on Thursday because I'm going to preview this game with the Rams. We got a lot to talk about. But this game is so pivotal for those three people. For Carson Wentz, for Doug Peterson, and for Howie Roseman. I think if we do not see a better Carson Wentz, this thing could tail fast. I think we need to see a better Doug Peterson. I cannot think there's no way, shape, or form that we're going to see that vanilla, boring-ass offense that we saw against Washington. That, mind you, would have won the game, sadly, if the quarterback didn't mentally implode. But again, I want to see pre-snap motion. I want to see the pocket roll. Like I said, Carson Wentz has one really good strength, and it's when he's throwing out of the pocket. Why is the coach not coaching to the strength of the player that you're paying the most money? And he gets asked that question, and he has a problem with it. And again, this team is also riddled with injuries again, and that's again a Doug Peterson issue because he is the only constant in the fact that we keep having players get hurt and hurt and hurt. And this is a big game for Howie Roseman. Howie Roseman helped us win a Super Bowl. He made a lot of great signings the year we won the Super Bowl. I get it. Alshon Jeffrey, clearly great signing. LeGarrette Blunt, great signing. Chris Long, great signing. He had a great draft the year prior. Carson Wentz, Isaac Siamalu, Halapoy Vitae. Vitae, obviously, more so than even Siamalu. Vitae was the starting left tackle for a team that won the Super Bowl. Jalen Mills. Starting corner for a team that won the Super Bowl. That was a great draft. But that's been it. And, and what did he do this offseason, Howie, to address the problems with the roster? He signs Javon Hargrave. He's hurt. You know? Trades for Darius Slay. That looked great yesterday because Darius Slay showed up. He put Terry McLaurin. He did not. Terry McLaurin did not beat the Eagles. Think about this. We beat the uh, Washington team twice last year, and McLaurin went bonkers in both games. Finally, we put him to bay, and we lose because our quarterback goes bonkers for them. 
So the question is, what that that J.J. Ortega-Whiteside pick is just, it's reeking for the Eagles. This is a big game for all three. If Carson Wentz lays an egg on Sunday, we are going to have a whole new discussion here. Like I said, I don't want to bury the guy because of one football game. But far too often, I am saying, one football game, one game here. Carson Wentz didn't play well. Carson Wentz didn't do this. Carson Wentz didn't do that. That conversation needs to end now. This is year five. This isn't his second year. This isn't his third year. This isn't his fourth year. He is 28 years old. This is supposed to be the prime of Carson Wentz. And he's seven for 21 with two picks after that great start yesterday. Looking like a deer in headlights, not knowing where to throw the football. Getting no help from his head coach, who's also in year five. Mr. 500, Doug Peterson is Jason Garrett. He's Jason Garrett with a ring. Unacceptable losses like that yesterday lead people to ask questions, and they have every right to because that Washington team was terrible. They were terrible. They have a great head coach. Ron Rivera is a winner. He's a great head coach. Ironically, the second time the Eagles have blown a 17-point lead to a Ron Rivera coach team. He was the coach of the Panthers when we imploded in that fourth quarter. Things need to change. And I will tell you this. If this week we don't see something different, this conversation I'm having today... Remember it, because it's only going to continue to heat up. There is no guarantee Doug Peterson is the head coach of the Philadelphia Eagles next year. You can absolutely believe that. I said it when Jeffrey Lurie essentially fired the coordinators for him. I said his seat is scalding hot now. Because he has now told him, we're changing everything. And they did change everything on offense. But it looked the exact same yesterday. And that's the coach. And don't think that GM is safe either. He's the one who gave out these big contracts. Fletcher Cox. I'm a big Fletcher Cox guy. No impact in that game yesterday. So our top two players. No impact. I'm watching Aaron Donald, who I'm going to talk a lot about this week. Wreck. Wreck the Cowboys offensive line. Fletcher Cox wasn't as good as Malik Jackson yesterday. Not even close. And these are our two highest paid players. Problems here. Too many problems. Problems that need to change. I'll be back Thursday. We'll talk about the Rams. And hopefully, we will see a different version of Carson Wentz, Doug Peterson, and hopefully some of these younger players that Howie Roseman has brought in will finally show face. And hopefully, this is a one-game aberration. Thanks for listening.